I'm only trying to help. Help what? You, me, us. I don't know. Help what, this? Can you help another rejection? Can anybody help that? So the first poetry book I ever bought was The Best Australian Poems 2007, which Black Ink put out, edited by Peter Rose. It was the only poetry book I had for ages. I kept it next to my bed. I spilled water on it. It's totally buckled now. And what I remember doing with that book is going over the biographies over and over again, trying to figure out how the hell did these people do this? Who are they? What's the secret ingredient? What do I have to do? And the other day I was looking at this book again, trying to find a particular type of poem, and I was looking at all those names and thinking, I wonder where these people are now. I haven't heard from that person in ages. I wonder if they're still writing. I kind of had that same thought when I gave that book to Luke when I interviewed him the other week, Australian Poets 1969, edited by Vivian Smith, who I assumed was a woman. Vivian is not a woman. And I was looking at the contents page just thinking, who the hell is that? I have no idea who these people are. And, you know, part of that is just I haven't read enough, but I think some of those people, that was it for them. And I've been thinking about this because recently... A couple of the conversations I've been having with friends in poetry have been around giving up, stopping writing, giving up on poetry, which sounds very dramatic, but I think it's something that comes up for people a lot, weirdly. I've never thought about it before, and I don't know why that is, but yeah, I keep having this conversation with people. I give up. I give up all the time. I want to give up. So I did a bit of uh, hunting around to see if other people had done thinking about this, and of course they have. Way back in 2013, an article called On Quitting Poetry came out in Mianjin by a writer called Jennifer Mills. And this is a searingly honest and very fun to read piece. And I'm going to lean on it pretty heavily here. So I hope Jennifer doesn't mind. Um, It's just so good. This is how it starts. I gave up writing poetry in spring. It wasn't sudden. It was a festival that tipped me over the edge. I think we can all relate to that. I was invited to read at a banquet-style poetry event where 12 poets sat at a table on stage. The 13th, our presenter, nestled in the middle. To add to the Last Supper references, the atmosphere was heavily ritualised and ornamented. Lights were dim. Non-specific religious statuary held down a red rug between our table and the audience. There may have been candles. The presenter was nervous and emotional. Backstage, he'd arrived breathless, dropped his pants in front of us to change, and, a minute later, told us he had never organised anything like this before and therefore needed a hug. We ran out of wine pretty quickly. Jokes were made on stage about the alcoholic nature of poets. It was part of our specialness, the creation of poetry one aspect of a larger flaw. The religiosity didn't end with culturally appropriated statuary. It soon became pretty clear that our presenter was on a quest 
to fill the poor vacated souls of the audience with poetry, to save them, to save us, and thus to save poetry itself. I wanted to bolt into the wilderness. That sounds like a shit night. Oh my God. Yikes. Because some publisher turned you down again. Yes, again. Again, Helen, and again. And you help her that I'm stupid enough to spend five years writing three stupid books? And you help her that I'm no writer? But you are. You're wonderful. They're the ones that are stupid, not you. So, yeah, I love this essay. I think it's really, really funny and really honest. And in it, Jennifer's talking not just about her own relationship to poetry, but the relationship to poetry as a thing in Australia in general. And she puts forward a bunch of arguments about why poetry has started to make her miserable because she knows that it has, but she's not entirely sure why. So she posits maybe it's the sanctification of poetry like in this uh, Last Supper vibes um, panel that she's had to sit through. She talks about the fear of failure, just the embarrassment, just the sheer embarrassment of being a poet. Um, but I think one of the most interesting things that she brings up is the issue of class. She says, this is about class, of course. The charlatanism of poetry is elitist. Poetry is not just an activity for idle, wealthy people. It belongs to everybody. And when we elevate it, when we try to build some artifice of reverence around it, it makes poetry seem inaccessible, reserved for certain individuals, as if a poet is a kind of eunuch. So I definitely don't want to get into, is poetry for everybody? Can everybody write poetry? Who's allowed to write poetry? What poetry is good? Like that's... Uh, I couldn't be bothered. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, what I'm more interested in is like um, if you've given up, it means that you had it to begin with. So you had the luxury to give up. One of my very favourite Adrian Rich quotes is about women who choose not to have babies, um, of which I am one, and she talks about women without children as having the luxury of our regrets. It's a phrase that kind of tortured me for many years, but I think it's very true. Uh, I could have had kids, but I haven't had kids. And I'm pretty old now, so I'm probably not going to have kids. <laughs> uh, you know, so there's, a, there's kind of a luxuriating in the melancholy of that, I guess. And maybe it's a longbow to draw, but I feel like there's something in giving up poetry, quote unquote, that is a bit sort of, if only I could have kept going. You know, I would have if I could have, but it's just too much. It's too hard. It's too horrible. Now I sound like I'm saying that having kids is horrible. Okay, this is a really difficult conversation to have. Dear Mr. Wills, we regret to inform you. I'm no good, Helen. Go away and let me alone. Oh, Charlie. Please, I can't explain my failure to you. So be a good girl and let me alone. But you're not a failure, not to me. When I was 20, I used to think I would write great books. I would be able to do this because I was different. I wanted perfection, and that made me different. 
Well, I'm not 20 anymore, and it's too late now. We'll try again. No! I just don't have what it takes. All I need to do now is get used to the idea. I'm rich. For the price of a few drinks, I could buy fame and friends or something like them. Why spend years writing? I can hold court in some noisy bar and criticize writing and talk about writing and... So, yeah, it's nice to have the time and resources to write poetry in the first place, and particularly nice if you are at a point where you feel like you've written enough that you can give something up, you know, if you've got success to walk away from. Of course, hanging at the edge of this conversation is Rambo. He's hovering around there famously abandoned poetry at the age of 21, having written it for only five years. We're still talking about him centuries later. I think the giving up is part of the talking about. Maybe that's really obvious to say. And, you know, when we talk about a five-year time span of creativity, my brain immediately goes to the Smiths and how much I wish that Morrissey had given up at some point even in the last 10 years, but ideally before that, you know, roundabout Voxel and I, just that's all we needed. Thank you very much. Goodbye. <laughs> so, yeah, it's one thing to give up when you're successful and to have published. There's another well-known Australian writer, Alison Crogan, who actually wrote an essay the year before this one. Um, in 2012, she wrote an essay for Overland, which is just simply called Giving Up Poetry. Similar to Jennifer Mills, she also tables a few good reasons to stop writing poems. She talks about the lack of material reward. She talks about the viciousness of the disagreements that happen within the poetry world. And she also talks about the fact that your audience is always going to be really small. She says, A poet writes knowing that almost no one will read the poems. If one writes from internal necessity, the poetry will occur anyway, as it did for me for so many years. But there's often a melancholy defensiveness, a self-protective lowering of horizons in the wider culture. Reading endless essays about how nobody reads poetry anymore will do that, I guess. But the contemporary state of crisis, the sense of social and environmental peril that attends living in these early years of the 21st century means that, for me at least, this futility begins to write itself large. In the face of these urgencies, writing anything can feel like the worst kind of self-indulgence. Writing poetry for an audience you can count on your digits can feel like the worst of all. Yep, okay, like it's hard to argue with that. It's really hard to argue with that. <laughs> and it seems like Alison did have a long and fairly successful break from poetry, but... She came out with a new and selected from 1991 to 2017. So she hasn't been able to walk away entirely. Jennifer Mills, on the other hand, is having a much better life without poetry. She's published a bunch of very well-received books. One of them was shortlisted for the Miles Franklin. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know how she feels about it. I, I would love to know. But, um, yeah, it seems like walking away from poetry was entirely the right thing to do in her case. But yeah, again, it's one thing to have stopped after you've quote-unquote made it to some degree, although maybe that's even harder. Maybe if that's the way that it goes for you, you wonder 
oh, if I had kept going, maybe, maybe I would have written a really great collection or just a really good poem, something I could really be proud of. I might have cracked something. I don't know. But what both these writers say, which was really interesting to me, is that this is something that so many of the poets that they know think about really regularly. And like I said, this has been coming up in conversation for me a bit recently. And so I asked my friend, what is it that you are thinking and feeling when you are thinking about giving up poetry? And uh, I got some answers. My friend said, number one, submitting to journals and always getting rejected. Two, feeling excluded when I read poetry in journals because it's too obtuse. Three, feeling depressed by the poetry I read in journals because it's all about ecological destruction, injustice and political corruption. Four, wanting to spend my time with human beings in the world rather than hiding away in an office by myself. Five, finding poetry readings to be insufferably smug and dull. And six, not getting a response on the PhD I spent seven years on. And then they added to that list, when I do get published, I feel a short moment of elation, but the overall feeling that stays with me is one of shame and guilt. Guilt that anyone's time was wasted by editing it and reading it, and shame at myself for putting forward something so self-obsessed and poorly constructed. I mean, I just think that's too harsh. I think that's way too harsh. I asked another friend whose voice you might recognise. Um, it's like um, in Peter Pan, there's a, um, in the original play, which I really only know because I um, watched the film. Now, if you're familiar with the film, I think it's called Finding Neverland. It's with Kate Winslet and Johnny Depp. It's a wonderful, wonderful film. And it's about uh, sort of semi-fictional, semi-biographical um, uh, story of how... Um, Peter Pan, James M. Barry wrote Peter Pan. There's, there's a part in Peter Pan where the audience is asked to clap. They're asked to clap because Tinkerbell is dying. If you, they, so they say to the audience, if you believe in fairies, clap. Clap your hands and this will keep Tinkerbell alive. And that to me is what um, belief in poetry and continuing and not quitting is. It's, uh, it's denying, denying mortality <laughs> by attempting to go, to burrow deep into the language somehow. And so when I'm really, when I'm quitting poetry, it's just too much for me to keep the fairies alive. And I can't clap anymore. <laughs> She's good. So, yeah, like I said, personally, I don't think about giving up, but maybe that's because I keep so much of poetry at arm's length. Like lately I've been making more of these and I've been reading a lot more and I've been getting ready to perform at a reading and it's all really, really great. And then sometimes I realise that it's not great. It's 
hard and stressful and sometimes it feels a little bit like an addiction. And so I wanted to ask you, have you quit? And if you have quit, how long did you quit for and why? And most importantly, what happened that meant that you relapsed? I would like to know. I don't think I can finish this episode without including this poem. I didn't think of this until just now, but I think this is exactly where this poem needs to go. I sent this to Matthew the other week. Um, it's a poem called Berryman by W.S. Merwin, and I feel like it is relevant. So I'm going to read it for you. I will tell you what he told me in the years just after the war, as we then called the Second World War. Don't lose your arrogance yet, he said. You can do that when you're older. Lose it too soon and you may merely replace it with vanity. Just one time he suggested changing the usual order of the same words in a line of verse. Why point out a thing twice? He suggested I pray to the muse, get down on my knees and pray, right there in the corner, and he said he meant it, literally. It was in the days before the beard and the drink, but he was deep in tides of his own, through which he sailed chin sideways and head tilted like a tacking sloop. He was far older than the dates allowed for, much older than I was. He was in his thirties. He snapped down his nose with an accent I think he had affected in England. As for publishing, he advised me to paper my wall with rejection slips. His lips and the bones of his long fingers trembled with the vehemence of his views about poetry. He said the great presence that permitted everything and transmuted it in poetry was passion. Passion was genius and he praised movement and invention. I had hardly begun to read. I asked, how can you ever be sure that what you write is really any good at all? He said, you can't. You can't. You can never be sure. You die without knowing whether anything you wrote was any good. If you have to be sure, don't write. <laughs> 